one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday. Today, we get to do an in-person one, which is super rare. I think we've done like three of those. Today, we have a good friend of mine, Gabby Manhurts. She is a health and wellness publicist, investor, mother, and wife, but you left out cook, which is like the first thing I thought you were going to say. Like, she's real official, y'all. Like, it's... (laughs) like Instagram, <laughs> commercial type shit. And she left that, like she posted it on her Instagram. So I'm surprised she didn't put that on here. But that introduction really doesn't do you any justice. She has been a pillar of love and light in my life in a really short amount of time. Uh, so why don't you tell us the most interesting thing about you, the most notable thing about you that has nothing to do with anyone else? Hmm. Yes. I mean, you're starting the interview off with probably one of the hardest questions because- You have to like something about yourself. Um, the most notable thing about myself is that I don't look like what I've been through. Ooh, did you think about that before you came here? No, but that's a genuine response because my background from outside looking in and like on paper looks very much like straight and narrow. But I've taken a lot of different turns and twists and I've kind of rebelled. And we will get into that failure Friday moment where I can kind of explain and expound on that. I was excited. Yes. What failure are you going to share with everyone today? One that brought you to your knees, but looking back was such a profound addition to becoming the more evolved version of Gabby. So, um, I think it's a little controversial because being a black woman, um, I think me talking about this is me kind of taking the mask off and kind of relieving myself of imposter syndrome. Because, so a little background, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, Pacific Northwest, predominantly white, um, a very affluent neighborhood. My dad played football. I was very surrounded about around people of the same stature. I did not see much black representation. Um, Unless if I went to go see family or when my dad took us to um, school, which was in the inner city. And why he did that was because he wanted to show perspective and to teach us that like this is a privilege. This is not normal. Pause. So he did that on purpose. Oh, this is, goes into such a deep conversation that AJ and I have. When did he start that? He started it in elementary school. Wow. And he wanted to do that and set the tone early um, because he knew that he can only but protect us so much and he can kind of control what goes on in the household. But he knows that when I go out in the real world, no one's really going to give a shit about me and protect my feelings and my emotions the way that my mom and my dad could, um, especially being black and American. So I think it was, his way of showing me that like two tales of America and what success looks like and the path to getting to success. Um, 
And so knowing that information, basically we were in Seattle and I had friends, I you know would hang out with them, but I really couldn't hang out with them really. Like they could come over, but it was very much like, okay, they gotta go home. You can't sleep over anyone's house. Like it was- That's why I asked that. Yeah, it was, I could not do a lot. And I never really understood why um, until I got older. And so a lot of times I would find myself being the only black kid on the playground and kind of asking those questions like, well, why does not no one look like me? You know, like, why do I look very much different? You know, um, until I went to go see my cousins in Virginia on the East Coast. And then I would see more of, of diversity, right? Um, so let's kind of take a step back. So growing up in Seattle, Washington, very predominant white, we moved to the East Coast. It was like, I remember it like it was yesterday, Kendall. Like, it was very like exciting, but like I was a kid, so I'm like, okay, this is cool, but I'm also leaving my friends. Well, why, why did he move you so far? So he um, took on a job and owned an arena football team and wanted to move for a job and move closer to family. And so doing that, my brother is in middle school, I'm in elementary school, getting ready to go to middle, and my sister is like, she's like in pre-K. The ripe age to make that type of change. Middle school is so hard already. Right. So we make the, the jump to the East Coast and baby, it was a culture shock. I bet. I mean, from the time we got there, it was like, you don't, you don't, you sound weird. It was just all the jokes and I was just like, really feeling it bad, you know? Well, did you go back into private school or did he put you into? No. So just threw me right into public school. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was rough. I bet. It was, it was rough. And then I did one year in, in private school because I think he saw that it was a lot and then pulled me right out. And then I just kind of did um, public school. And I think it was good because it toughened me up. It also made me become more savvy. Um, and I think it kind of gave me like a reality, like a real sense of reality of like, this is like the real world, you know? Um, so all that, I kind of grew up, you know, very sheltered, protected. So I rebelled a lot of times, doing things that my parents told me not to do. So mom, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. I'm not gonna like- I did the same thing. Like <laughs> open my closet of secrets on here, but you know, I did, several things that they didn't instruct me, but I'm here today to kind of talk about that. Um, so I'm in high school and I didn't academically excel because I was boy crazy, sports crazy, just doing all How the old? things. What high school? Because there's like, if you're freshman, is a different person when you're like a junior, senior. So when I went into high school, I was like very focused, like very focused, but I, you know, you know, kind of got like interested in boys. Yeah. And I got curious and I just kind of did what high schoolers do, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but a little part of me was like, you know, we're getting close to graduation. And I'm like, everyone's like has signing day and it's coming up and I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do with like 
But who does in high school? You'll be surprised. A lot, a lot of people do. A lot of people knew like what college they had their dream college. They knew all of that. And I had a dream college in my mind, but again, I just wasn't academically just like sharp. Like I was just trying to get by. And I told myself, I was like, well, you know, I want to have like, I want to go to college, but I know that like, I'm probably the way that I'm like, my trajectory is probably going to be like bad. And what was your GPA? Mm. Yeah. What was it? I mean, does it matter anymore? It don't matter, but it was like a two. So wait, so your dad, daddykins, like he, he, they can see what your grades are. Like what is, they can see it, but it was just kind of like, like they, they just told me they were just kind of like, it'll like work itself out. And oh, so they were positive. They were very positive and they made some phone calls to colleges. Oh duck and so that goes into like the privilege of like they made phone calls to people to try and get me into certain schools and did it work no that's how bad <laughs> my gpa and my sat scores they were, were. like uh, no we can't help you pretty pretty much and that was like a reality like it started setting in and so the only schools that were willing to take me and i can i also play basketball that would give me a full ride in college was hbcus but that's a, a beautiful thing. Like, I would be thrilled if my kids went to an HBCU, especially if you're yearning for that cultural exposure that you're not getting in your everyday life. Yes. However, when everyone that I'm looking around are going to PWIs, predominantly white institutions, and I'm only going to an HBCU, at that time, HBCUs weren't glorified and they weren't put in this light of, you know, displaying this beautiful... Um, I'm like losing my words right now, but like this beautiful display of like black excellence. And like, I didn't know at the time this, the significance. All I knew was like a different world. And I saw that with Hillman and seeing like, oh, that looks great. But like, I wouldn't fit into that. So that's an interesting perspective. So you would say that the purview of black excellence, the popularity of HBCUs is relatively new because that's a question, even though it sounded like it wasn't a question because a lot of my closest friends are black women. And in college, I roomed with black women. And it was all, then HBCUs, it was, I had never heard mm -hmm. of an HBCU until I went to FSU and I discovered FAMU. Yes. And the first time as a white woman <laughs> that I went to the set, I was in awe because I, that's not, that was at least when we were in high school, that wasn't what, um, was shown on MTV. Yeah. You would get your music videos and it was strippers, booties, money. You'd get reality TV. At the time it was Flava Flav. I just mm. aged myself. I know. But that was black <laughs> culture. Yes. And that's what, as white people, we were absorbing as black culture. So when I went to FAMU set for the first time, I was, and you're seeing doctors, pharmacists, engineers, um, business majors, military, and they are just thriving amongst people that look like themselves for the first, it was, it made, it brought tears to my eyes. So I was like, oh my God, like this is not, but now I feel like, or maybe it's just because I'm, I've been more exposed to it than the average white person, I would say. I feel like it's talked about a lot. Yes. And I think 
But you're saying when you were going to college, yes, it was not. It wasn't. Um, but was that your audience? Yes and no, but like my friends were going to Penn State and ODU and I mean, I'm trying to like Syracuse, like they were going to all these big schools and all that could I could even get into was like a local college. And at that time I was so ashamed and it took me to actually go to college and go through that experience. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my whole entire life because it truly prepared me and equipped me with the tools to go out in the world and be successful and carve my own path and my, create my own lane. Um, when the world wants to tell me no, I'm getting to yes. And I am forever grateful, but while I went through college and went through all of that, some of the shame started to set in because on my resume, I went to an H a historically black college. And sometimes when you're trying to find a job, it's usually about where you went to school and then you make those connections. And you know, if you're an alumni of a certain you know, college or university, sometimes you're the first one to get accepted in, or even get an interview because of that. And a lot of times I wasn't getting callbacks. I wasn't, I like had to just kind of like push and push to just even get an interview for an, an internship or an, even a job. And I found myself at my first PR firm in DC, a very notable one. I don't want to like name the name, but if you're on LinkedIn, you could definitely see it. But, <laughs> um, I found myself, it was a very established worldwide public relations firm. I mean, they worked with every Fortune 500 um, company. I mean, very, very um, well reputable award winning. Well, pause one second, because I don't think it's well known, just by every everybody, what PR is. Yes. So if you could go into that a little bit. Yes, so public relations, slash communications is really being able to storytell in a sense and being able to take something so small and share it with the masses and make it look very pretty and sell something essentially. Like we're salesmen. Like we are putting together pitches and making things that are so small or something that's very flat and just plain and vanilla seem like it's the best of the best. And truly it's, it could be something so small, like I feel like I'm repeating myself, but we, we're fluffers, we're professional fluffers, essentially. Give us an example of a person or an entity that, that uses PR and why. Oh, I mean, even what you do, like your company, you use communications and public relations and marketing to mm -hmm. get your company out there to attract clients, right? Yep. So there's all types of marketing collateral that is sent out. You have ads, Instagram ads, it's all combined in one. So it's not just sending pitches to media. It's also social media, putting together posts, stories, like, or even those sound bites with reels. Like all of that is essentially packaged into PR. We are the people behind the scenes making things, making shit happen, essentially. Yeah. There's a saying that um, I bet their publicist is tired that you, you've never noticed before, but now that I said it, you're gonna start seeing it on your phone. And that is when 
Um, I think one thing you didn't touch on was damage control. Mm. Like when someone fucks up and does something on social media or a platform or a speech or a public setting, PR is the first person they call. And they come in and they are trying to fix the situation, deter what's going on. Like PR is so important and underutilized by small to medium businesses. And I think that there's a common misconception of that like PR just gets me interviews. That's like a really tiny part of it. They're in a very small part of PR. A lot of times like we're the cleanup people, you know, PR is not very sexy. It's a very high stress job. Um, and either you like it or you don't. You're built for it or you're not. Thankless. Like, I mean, truly, you are, you're doing a lot of the dirty work. Um, and clients wanna see results. They want to get, they want you to get in front of things. Like that is truly our job is to get in front of things before shit hits the fan. Um, exactly. And like, we are always the eyes and ears to kind of see what the social landscape is saying about the company, kind of getting a temperature check on their, uh, their consumers and their audiences and potential customers to kind of see what they want what their concerns are and kind of whatever new product or any kind of um, really like product um, or any kind of launch that they're doing resonates with their consumer base. Because if it does, then it'll be a success and it's easy and it translates to sales, right? Um, so we are the brain, the midnight oil, the midnight oil. Like, I, I mean, I've pulled some all nighters and the pay is not that great. Really? No. No. What's what is the starting pay in today's dollars, you think? Guessing. Um, I would say like the clearly starting... I'm not a size eight anymore. Like my arm just went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Shoulder, I don't do that anymore. Um I would say like the entry level is like maybe like Shut up. You knew your fix your lips. Like 45 and also she went like yeah, but that's like after taxes, like entry level. 40. Yes, and also depending on if you're in LA, New York, okay, yeah. or you're in like North Carolina. Here, I feel like it's probably... 50. I would say it's about like 55. When I graduated here. college, it was 40-ish. Like that was that average starting salary for, for just an undergrad. Yeah. If it's 40 still, that's a sad, sad career. I would say it's about like <laughs> 50, 50, 55 depending on your experience and the campaigns that you've like been on. When did you realize that that's, was, did you fall into that? Is that what you wanted to do? Did you watch that Kerry Washington show and you were like, I'm gonna do that? No, I did not. Cause I did not want to get into law and all that. Like that is scandalous like in itself and it's messy, icky, not for me, right? What I remember, again, I'm like aging myself. So on MTV, there was this show called PR Girls. And <laughs> yes, look it up. It's called PR Girls. And these girls worked with Diddy. I mean, they were like the it girls of the industry. What show? I mean, they were doing Diddy's all white parties before like all white parties became like a thing. Like Diddy's all white parties in the Hamptons. Like they were facilitating and running that shit. Like to putting up. together, and I know it was super high stressful, and I know that like with reality TV, you get like 
the like the good clickbait bites and stuff. How many seasons of that was was there? Because I don't remember that at all. We're similar age. I think it was like a one and done, like a one hit wonder, and Mm, then they they were just do that. It it was so good though. It was so good, and I just remember being like, "Damn, I just want to be in a room with movers and shakers, but be behind the scenes. Like I can see everything that's going on." And like I have my clipboard, I have my earpiece, like like I'm running shit, but behind the scenes, I don't want to be on the scene. I just want to be a fly on the wall and watch people. But like knowing that like I am putting together the biggest, the hottest, the newest, shiniest thing. Like that was like, that's what I wanted. Um, But I was sadly mistaken. That is not what PR is all the time. Um, And I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me either. So that also kind of, there was like a struggle because I either people that looked like me were the talent and I wanted to like work with people. So sometimes in, in my professional development, my growth, the first time I had a black um, manager was my at like, like five years post-college. Wow. And she wasn't that like much like older than me, but like I could see something, right? When you see something, you're able to kind of be like, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. How important is that? Oh my gosh, extremely important. It's, it's, it's so important that like it's overlooked sometimes and sometimes even forced. So as a, as a white woman, it's hard it's hard for me to speak to that because there's so many more people to point to and yeah. be like, okay, that's my, that's my benchmark and that's what I'm going to model. But I've never thought how that would affect me if I didn't have those. And most of the time, those benchmarks for me are men mm-hmm. and not women because I've noticed that a lot of people, women in my industry, they're just a little bit too bitchy or a little bit too confrontational and I don't, I don't want to be like that. So I usually pick men to model from. But I never thought, what if there was no white people? Like, how would that affect my goal setting? So it's hard for me to even speak to that, but you're saying that that is speaking to a much larger issue within the diversity yeah, arena. It is, It's, and I think that's where we've got these D, um, DIOs, no, D, Diversity Chief Officer, so DCO, yeah. Diversity, D-I-C. You gotta learn how to say it. Diversity, say inclusion, it. equity, chief officer. Wait, what? Diversity, inc- is that Diver- real? Yeah, yeah. D-I-E. God, diversity, inclusion, equity, or it could it be diversity? It's a long acronym. I would just say that, but it's changing. But in the past, I would say like the past couple years that has been a role that's been carved out because companies and organizations see the need for that because if you're not if you're recruiting black talent black and brown talent what's the retention right like how long are these individuals staying that's huge like and then if you look at a five-year plan right like we measure in like five-year increments Mm -hmm. what does that look like is your tap is your talent tapering off? Are they going elsewhere? Where are they going? In these exit interviews, what are they saying? Like, who are making up these teams that they're working on, right? The clients that we work with, 
and their consumers are diverse. So why are the teams not diverse? It should be that. You know, we. I feel like oftentimes, um, if there's an issue, a diversity issue or a controversial topic that's, you know, stemmed with like race or some type of misunderstanding, oftentimes they will tap the minority to kind of add perspective, which is great, but that also leads to tokenism. And I have- Ooh, what's tokenism? So tokenism is basically feeling like the only one. Um, and I can say that I have been the token black girl to kind of, when Black History Month comes around, I'm like, I'm your girl, you know? <laughs> if, you know, or if there's a panel for Women's History Month, we, we, we're checking boxes. But diversity and inclusion isn't a one-size-fits-all and it's not a checklist. You so know? how do you fix that? I don't know. I don't even have the answers to that. You know, like, I mean, I can put together a, a deck and be like, this is what we need to do. Give you two weeks. You know, <laughs> right, exactly. You sound like one of my old clients, but like, I really don't, I don't have the answer. But I would say it starts at the top mm -hmm. and it trickles down. If the people that are at the head of the table that are calling the shots truly and are making decisions that affect the pipeline and affect the whole entire company and the type of clients that you attain and attract, if it's not diverse, then how do you think the rest is, it's, it's, not, it's not gonna happen. It trickles down, for sure. I could see how that would be a problem, but my issues, because I read so much about this stuff, mm -hmm. is how do you fix it? And it's almost like the more you try to fix it, the more you end up with things like tokenism because yeah. people, if they weren't thinking about it, now they sure as fuck are. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like more than ever now, Yeah, it's, it's like, like top God of mind, which is it. good, but it's like, it's like a red baron. It's like, it's, it's good, but sometimes it's so forced and in your face. It's like, you're trying to spoon feed me this shit where it's like, like I'm good. But right I almost feel like that's necessary. But is it that necessary? If it, is it authentic? Is it authentic? And how do you measure that? Because what's authentic to someone might not seem authentic to someone else. And there's some people who might, even if it is authentic, aren't ready for it. Yes. So then they're gonna call it inauthentic because yes. they can't digest anything at that point. Yes. It's, it's a mess, but I do think it's important because I, I think about this stuff all the time. It's like, what do I do with my kids? Yeah. I've, I struggle with personally, and it's probably not that as big a deal as I'm making it, but I've made it a pretty big deal. How do I teach my children that black is beautiful, black love is beautiful, black women are beautiful when their father chose to marry a white woman over a black woman? Like, how do you teach that? And the best answer I've come up with is you put them in places where black women are appreciated and then they see you support that appreciation or deliver that. But I mean, how many times am I gonna be in a room full of black, like forcing it? Like how many, how do you not force that? How do you make that natural? You know, it's like, I just wanna just say that Kendall has done a great job doing that. I think this was like last, last year, and I was like getting to know you and like our friendship has like blossomed 
since from when I first met you, but like I gravitated to say. I like gravitated towards Kendall. She's I starting was, with the positives. This is gonna go downhill <laughs> no, it's too not. soon. It's not. But you made a post. Um it had to do with um exactly that. Talking about it was around Black History Month and you went to Target and um, representation because that matters. Shout out to Target. They always have a great section. I got her a planner. I got that planner for all of the strong black women in my life. Sorry, Lexi, you weren't in it yet. Um, <laughs> you can have mine because mine says Gabe. So. Well, she told me not to call her Gabe, so I wrote this planner belongs to Gabe. And I got them this planner, but they always have an amazing section of black owned businesses, black owned brands, even when it's not Black History Month, which I agree is important because there's nothing more annoying than it's Black History Month. It's February. It's so here, time to make everything about Black people. Yeah, and then it's uncomfortable when you walk so in and it's like and it's like on full display. And this is coming from a Black woman. I'm just like sometimes I'm I'm so excited and I see it. And trust me, I am definitely grabbing a mug. Oh, I grabbed it. I bought every single planner. I you only know what have I mean? like six Black women friends, but I bought like ten. It, there you go. Every, you get one. You get one. Everyone gets one. But like sometimes it can be overwhelming. And so, but I think Target does do a good job. So Target, you want to sponsor? You know, be a sponsor. I'll tag you. Yes. Um, but you, to my point, is that you do a good job um, showing and articulating that to your kids. You know, and I think what you said in that post, you, you said it today, is that Black is beautiful, Black is respected, Black women are loved. All of that language, messaging matters and it resonated to me. And to take it a step further, I think that you're, you're intentional about doing that with your daughter. And that is what matters, you know? You sharing and reaffirming that in her. I think that is the most beautiful thing that you can do. I appreciate that. I will also say, and I love my husband. I also talk a lot of shit. It has, <laughs> it has to come from black men. Mm. It means a lot like that. Thank you. That was really special coming from you, but it needs to come from black men, mm. especially like tenfold from black men that choose to date outside of their race. To make, if you have a daughter, especially a biracial daughter, black love, showing how to treat black women, showing that they are beautiful, they are special, they are wanted, has to come from the black male father figure in the relationship. Whether it's a dad, whether it's a grandpa, whether it's uncle, it has to come from them. It does. It does. Um, I think that that is important. I'm like at a loss for words because like that, you you were the first white woman that is my friend that has like said that and articulated. Well, we all should be saying that that's the thing. You know, and like, again, like I'm not in like some of my other friends like households and stuff like that, but for us to have like that candid moment just now for you to say that, and I know you mean that shit because you've, you put it out there and I know you like, you're not gonna fake the funk, but like that is important. Um, I think even the world that we're in today, I think, not even I think, I know, like I'm saying this with conviction, is that black women are, is the most mistreated. I agree. Human on 
the face of this earth um, from the beginning of time. And it's hurtful, but I think that as black women, we are stepping into our own and championing each other and celebrating ourselves in one another. And this concept of like black women in luxury, like I'm all for it. Like I'm all for it because so black women in luxury is being able to live a soft life. You know, it doesn't always have to, you know, I know you said all the strong black women in your life, but I don't always want to be strong. Like fair. I want, I, I just, I want to exist and I want to be soft. I want to be, black women are multifaceted. Like we can be passionate. We can be, you know, you can be soft and strong though. I mean, look at the vagina. Right. <laughs> but most, most times, what do they associate black women with? Strong. And it's like, damn, I don't want to be strong. Like, can a, excuse my, can a bitch be like soft? Can I be emotional? Can I, without being outcasted or being reprimanded for my emotions, right? No, I I, I agree because I always say strong black woman, but I think that that is painted that way because black women have, they wear so much pain that you have, you have to be strong in order to wear that every day. You do, but I think that's where now it's changing. It's changing where it's like, we are really perpetuating and living and being intentional about not always being that strong person. Like we, we can be strong, we have to be strong, right? But we are trying to dismantle that idea that like, that is the first thing that is like attached to, like, I don't ever hear a strong white woman. No, well, that's not our stereotype, is it, Gabby? Right, right, exactly. So we're trying to dismantle so that So at least idea. you have a strong stereotype. <laughs> I'm, I mean, the, I'm the doormat. That's why black men date me. No, because no, we're not, we're not going to talk down on ourselves because we yeah, are all talking. I've been a doormat. I'm, I'll, I'll wear that. I have been, I am a recovering doormat. I'm a plush carpet now. <laughs> but I hear that. And that's that's rebranding, right? It is. It is. It is. It's a, it's the new rollout. I always I tell my husband Chris is that I'm always rebranding myself. Like you have to. Like I'm always like I'm always on a new rollout. Like after having a baby, like I'm, listen. I, I totally rebranded myself. Listen, like that is a thing. I cut, like I. Psh. By the way, what they don't tell you about lipo. Side note. <laughs> Is this that you get lipo, and then now that, I, like I ate eight cookies earlier, ooh, but now I'm gaining weight in my arms. Because wherever you didn't get lipo, that's where that shit goes. Get the arm liposis. Okay, go on, sorry. Get the, get the arm lipo. Um, Anyone who's gotten lipo is about to comment and be like, she, she's fucking right. Um, but yeah, it's all about rebranding. And I think that's just happening as a whole with diversity inclusion. Like there is a whole new rollout and it's, it's, it's evolving, right? Ever since the summer of 2020, there has been, well, I'm not saying there has, it's been more in the forefront and there's been a lot of attention around it of like rebranding what, you know, this, this idea of black, like black is associated struggle. Like, like we want, we know that, right? Like we know what we came from. We understand our history. And without knowing that, you don't know where to go. 
And I think we are now at a place where we're trying to rebrand and and stay true and, and hold on to that, you know, because that's near and dear and that's part of our history. But also, this is a launching pad to show more of a well-rounded, multifaceted I love that because I think holding on to pain is for a lot of people, not all people, is a crutch or Mm -hmm. it's an anchor that keeps, and the pain's real. Like I definitely believe in generational trauma, but it, for the right people, it will hold you down and prevent you if you don't know how to cope with it and process it. So I think that rebranding and launching just for, not just with black people, it's, it's work, it's, it's mental health. Yes. So I do think that even compared to where, when you were going to college and you were struggling and getting into college and how, I never even thought about how the perception of HBCU, because you're right, it is celebrated if you get into HBCU. And it wasn't then, which I never thought about. I didn't even know what it was. As soon as, as soon as Beyonce, you know, did homecoming. That's what, that's, It was like, Adidas got behind it. I mean. Was that the moment? Um, was that the moment? It was on Netflix, and so it was in. I'm, well, I'll say Coachella. Like I think I remember sitting in my living room and watching it, and I cried because the way that her artistry of how she showed and displayed that was so beautiful, and it resonated to me. Like showing the Divine Nine, you know, with sororities and fraternities, and that is so sacred and treasured in black culture um, and the history behind it. I am not Greek, but knowing and seeing my friends online and going through that process and kind of learning about it from an outside perspective, you know, it's so near and dear to black culture. And it's- Oh, it's beautiful. It, it's, it's so beautiful. It's Even so if beautiful. you're not black. Yeah, like it's- It's, it's beautiful. It is. And so having that, that kind of I mean, you get Beyonce behind it, turns to gold, right? And now everyone wants to, I'm you know. Queen, man. Uh, right. But I'm happy she did that. But for me, it wasn't always like that. And then going in places and we're all talking about like, oh, like, where'd you go to school? And I'm like terrified. I'm like, um, I, I went to a small school in Virginia. And then everyone's like, huh? Like, what's going on? I was like, I went to an HBCU. And they're like, well, what is that? Really? Yes. 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 And I have to explain, I'm like, it's a historically black college. And then as soon as like the buzzword, like black college, it's like, well, it, it gets a little sometimes in certain crowds and in, in it's such- It's like a shame that they didn't know what that was. Yeah. It's like embarrassed. Like, oh, I don't talk, I don't know anything about this. I don't want to misspeak. And then there's this fear. Right. And then I, then I have to go on the tangent of like educating, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes that gets a little daunting and exhausting but there was a lot of shame. So once the whole movement and you started seeing, you know, black colleges being celebrated and being talked about and it made me not feel so bad. Like it, it, like I was so proud to say that I am a graduate of HBCU, you know, and putting that like in my Twitter bio and putting that in my Instagram bio and really proud of that and really invested in all the things that are happening, you know, within HBCUs and um, uh, 
colleges and universities of, of that stature. Had you done better in high school, would you still have gone to an HBCU, you think? I don't know. I probably would have went. Did your parents have an opinion? Did anyone say, this is why you should go to an HBCU? No. Because they're not new. No, and I have been around centuries that went to, but you know, you have parents that went to UCLA, you know, it's a, it's a little hard. It's kind of like, and my sister's getting letters from in, in high school, middle school for playing sports that she was like badass in softball. And my brother's getting offers from D1 schools and I'm going settling at an HBCU. I feel like at that time, I, I felt ashamed. I was like, I felt like, That's fair. you know, like I, I felt like, dang, like why can I not go to some of those prestigious schools? But historically black colleges are, are just as prestigious. Well, I think that there's, so how do I say this? When I went to college, I did, I majored in two things that I already knew very well. It was kind of like a Spanish person majoring in Spanish. Like I kind of cheated. So I barely went to school, but wait, what? so I grew up, I mean, I was very into finance and economics. Yeah. So I majored in finance and economics. And I think I went to class like half the time. Like I really was not, I was drunk most of my college undergrad I mean, career. who wasn't? I certainly was. <laughs> um, but I made it out with like a 3.8. But that was just because I would show up on test day and you're like, this elementary bullshit. <laughs> um, but I learned so much more about my boundaries, how far I could uh, bend and not break. I learned, it was more social stuff, maturity stuff, growing stuff. How do you think your education would have been different if you didn't go to HBCU? Like what life skills, people skills, personality skills unique to your HBCU would you not have gotten if you went to a predominantly white institution? I think, it's a good question. I think, I think based off of what some of my friends have shared with me and their struggles, of being like all the black people on the campuses know each other. Like it's a very tight knit group, like, you know, and sometimes you you feel a little outcasted. And I don't feel that I would have had a well-rounded college experience. I don't think that I would have been able to have the grit that I have now when I'm being declined certain things and being innovative and being savvy and being creative. Like I think that going to an HBCU has equipped me with like life skills that are light years beyond if I would have went to a PWI. Like in, in my own opinion, um, because I feel like I learned how to adapt very quickly. And it wasn't like I'm in class and like the professors were like saying, no one's gonna give a shit about you and da 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 da. It wasn't that, it was just like, it felt like, it just felt like the real world. It was just like, they were hard on, on us because they cared and not hard in a way of like, it was a hard and like, like tough love, you know? But was it positioned to you like, this is how it will likely come out in a predominantly white organization. 
this is how we're talking. Because I almost feel like that's a handicap, right? Because you're in a room full of people, your peers, mm -hmm. that know have the same struggles, they know the same awkward situations with white coworkers or white friends that nobody else would understand. But in a institution where it's a PWI, you're learning how to truly adapt. Where at HBCU, that's not real life. You're not gonna go to work at the biggest PR firm and be in a room of everyone looks like you. Right. That might be hard to get used to after but four I, years. But I think my upbringing is okay. what allowed me to kind of be able to adapt really because I grew up like that. I grew up being the only one. And so that, but that led to imposter syndrome. At what age did you learn how to, to change the way you behaved based on who you were around? Oh, like code switching? Mm -hmm. Oh, early. What's code switching, Gabby? <laughs> I feel like I'm like giving like the, it's like the little cheat code to- You are, this is valuable information. Um, well, like code switching essentially is, you know, I, I adapt to my environment, you know, and I make sure that I am presenting myself in a way that mm, isn't how I talk to, how I talk to you is how I talk to like my homegirls, like you're my friend. So mm -hmm. I'm talking to you as my friend. Now, if I'm going into a job interview, like I'm not gonna be in there being like, bitch, let me tell you something. Like I'm not going in there like that. Everyone does it, but I think it's even more important when, oh, how do I say this? This is gonna come out so bad. No, hold on, before you say that, but I also wanna say this, there's an art to code switching. There's and an I, art. And I realize a part of like deflating that imposter syndrome is realizing that yes, I have to code switch and yes, like I'm learning the language, right? But I also know that if I don't show up as myself authentically, then I'm doing a disservice to myself. You can authentically code switch though. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, the language, like, you know, the talk and you can, and you, and you know that, right. And you can do that like with, in your sleep, but there's certain things that like, I'm not going to say, and there's a, a way in which I'm going to say it when I'm in a, a specific room, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's being able to articulate and get your point across without being, you know, having some emotional control and self-awareness. Yes. This is one of the biggest places I personally struggle, which is why I'm asking about it. But I will say that me code switching in a room of football wives versus like a room of like my childhood friends is a lot different than I need a drink. Gabby code switching from an interview to like a group of friends because you're working with a physical perception as well. Yeah. Like I look the same to both of those groups of people. Whether people acknowledge it or not, whether people acknowledge it or not, whether people fucking acknowledge it or not, <laughs> when you see a black person, there are preconceived notions that most of us have because yeah. we are conditioned by society, by media. I don't care. You're not going to like this and that's fine. But that, that that's why code switching is more a more valuable skill for you. Yeah. It is. If that made sense. It, it allows me and shows me like, that's how I move through the world. And especially in the corporate setting, like sometimes you got to browse, no brown nose a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I learned that 
I learned that from one of my dearest friends who is also a white woman and she is so special to me. Her name is Savannah. And couldn't have been anything less white. <laughs> but she's so sweet. Like she's so no, sweet. I'm sure she is. And so real. And she's a true ally. And I love her. And I remember going into my job, and this is like my last job. And I used to just sit back, like, and when we when I first met her, it was like I kept seeing her like. I was intimidated. She's like this petite, 5'2", blonde, blue eyes. I mean, smart as a whip. Like, sharp. She dresses sharp. She came in there with her Burberry trench and her mm -hmm. um, Everfall Louis. And I was like, she doesn't look like the rest of these girls. Not the Everfall Louis. <laughs> like, I'm like, come on now. Like, we know our bags, right? Oh, yeah. And... And so, I mean, that's like work, working woman attire right there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and like, she didn't look like the rest of everyone else, but like what really drew me to her is her intelligence and her way in which how she was working a room. And I love that. And I would just like take little bits and pieces and we were in meetings, I would always look at her and I would kind of like see how she was working the room and getting her points across and being firm. And I knew that I needed to be firm, to be respected, but there was a way in which I had to do it, which I had to code switch. Mm -hmm. um, and she kind of taught me that. So I don't have a problem. I sometimes, I, not even sometimes, like I found that working with white women and white men, like I learned the game essentially because I saw how they were doing and I just would take what I needed and apply it to me and how I knew how to maneuver through spaces. And that's what you need to do no matter what you look like, first of all, if, yeah. especially in a corporate setting, you find people, you can tell if you pay attention, especially in a meeting, who's working the room yeah. and who's natural at it and who's trying too hard, because it's a feeling. Yeah. And you and you model, baby, model, model, model. I know it's not like, you know, copying. Yeah. No, you find certain behaviors. Like you literally, if you're sitting like this in a meeting, bitch, I'm sitting and I'm modeling her. I'm yes. sitting like that in a fucking meeting. You yes. put your hand and I'm, it's that basic though. Like yeah. you model every little, yeah, every little detail, every behavior, posture, mm -hmm. makeup. Mm. Mm. It's important in the workplace. Like how is your makeup? Are you doing the winged eyeliner a little bit too much? You better chill the fuck out. Mm. Very much. Like very much. And I... Working in New York in PR, like I would see these women coming in the office and I would just be like, damn, that bitch is sharp. Like, and she she knows her shit and she's on it and no one can tell her anything different. And people, when she walks in, people are telling her, good morning, hi, not the other way around. Like you can, hi, you know what I mean? Like that's how you know that like you are owning a space and people respect you. When you walk into a room, yeah, sure. Sometimes you gotta say, Hi, good morning, you know. Yeah. But like when people are coming to you being like, Good morning, how are you? That that's what I want. So then let's take a step back. Let's take a step forward. So we have our failure where you go to the HBCU, turns out to be a blessing because you yeah. have all these valuable skills that come from it. Now you're in your dream job. How far after are we in our dream job after college? Um, it took So when was the next trough? Oh, girl. 
Well, first of all, truck. Oh. That's all I was like, I, didn't I want need to, to stop moving my shoulders. Like I really can't. <laughs> this is hard. My now you have me looking at. Even... Now you have me looking oh. at the sleeve. Did you unbutton it? A little bit. Okay. Are you better? <laughs> a little bit. It's oh. the, it's this. It's this part. <laughs> it's like I keep wanting to go like, but that's not working. Moving on. Um. So the next trough. Next trough. The next trough was. I'm in my dream job, I'm in New York, I'm thriving, living in Harlem, living my best life. I was also dating my now husband at the time, we were long distance. Mm. And... Long distance sex. We were long distance our long-term relationship. And that just makes it harder when you actually live together. But they don't wanna have that conversation, we'll save that for another podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm doing all the things. And so then I'm, I'm conflicted, right? I'm like, I, I love what I'm doing. I'm hanging out in the city. Like I'm doing all the things. Like I'm living my sex in the city, like except with a boyfriend, you know? And like respecting that, but like going out and having the best time, like shit is clicking. Like I look good. I'm feeling good. I hated my fucking, I hated my roommate. I mean, like I've said it like six times. So. I'm very comfortable at this point. It's not getting edited out, so don't come back. It's with that the bullshit. Morgan Chardonnay. Morgan Chardonnay, not sponsored. <laughs> but I was feeling so good. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, girl, you you gotta figure out this love life and what this legacy looks like. And what I mean, legacy is like kids, marriage. How old are you? At that time. Girl, now you know I'm talking about my age. Okay, you can talk about it. Um, no, how old was I? I was 27. Okay, so when when you yeah. start to get that, oh, what am I going to pull yeah, this shit together? Um, and write the narrative. I started to get a little concerned because I was like, I like this guy, I was digging him and the vibes were immaculate while we were long distance and I would come to Charlotte and see him play and I'm back in New York, you know? And like, I like that. But I started getting a little weary because I'm like, this isn't sustainable. And then all my friends started getting booze and I'm the only one up there without my- like A boo nearby. Yeah. And all my guy friends are like, He's cheating on you. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not trying to hear that. Like, he loves me. And um, so then I like called him up one day. Uh, and I was just like, all right, what are we doing? And he was like, well, I'm not going to get engaged with you unless you move down here. This is verbatim what happened here. And yeah. in my mind, I was like, well, like... What do you mean? Like, I'm not about that. Like, no, I'm I'm standing my ground. I am not moving because I don't want shit to hit the fan and it doesn't work out because I have time invested. Mm -hmm. Like, I have air miles invested in this. Like, I have my heart invested in this, right? Like, holidays, you meeting my family. Like, there's well, a obviously something had to, like, you can't come there, so. Right. So I knew in my mind, I was like, all right, either I'm going to chase my Paris 
which is chasing this career in PR in New York, which was my parents essentially, mm-hmm. or follow love and knowing that I'm going to have to probably adjust. This is about to get dark because how is this a failure? <laughs> no, it's not a failure, but it did feel like a failure. It did feel like a failure because I left that and I wanted that so How bad. fucking scary was that? She was scary. How scary was but that? But like, I will never forget the day that I was, so like yes. I had a similar thing. I was working out of the executive or the home office of Raymond James in St. Pete and I got a job offer in New York. And it's like my dream Wall Street, like I get to go there. It wasn't like a ton of money, but it was like, that's the, the sounding yes. board. Like it's that position, then it's that, that and then yes. that. So that was, was like, your parents. That was, I was like, okay, I'm on my way. I'm 22. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, this is it. I'm yes. about to be a young bitch in New York. Yes. Like, like, on Wall Street. On and Wall then I'm, Street. I'm dating AJ and you know, he can't, <laughs> our men can't leave. No. They have the perfect excuse. They play football. Yeah. So I remember like, in my notes, I was typing out like <laughs> what I was gonna say. Cause I was like, all right, like yeah. it's, it's time to make a choice and yeah. it's my choice, but you know, he has to like be willing to invite me down to live with him. Yes. <laughs> like he has to, yes. like you, you want, I had to figure out how to be like, all right, I have this job offer. Yeah. I'm totally, like, I'm gonna be sad if you say you're not ready to move forward. But yeah. I mean, I have this to get over it real quick. Yeah. And then, or you say yes, and now I have to decide to throw away this whole yeah. other life that could be what I'm destined to have. And I cried, I wrote it out, it took me about three hours to write it out. And I wrote this long paragraph and I ended up sending like 10 words like, hey. What did he say? It was just like, hey, I got a job offer, but I do love you so I can move in with you or I can go to New York, but I gotta, you gotta, can I move in so with you? So it was you? an ultimatum. It was an ultimatum. And this motherfucker. He texts me back, he goes, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure like, what? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, you're gonna propose? Like, we're gonna get married? Right. Or like, yeah, sure, I can move to Jacksonville? Right. Or like, yeah, sure, like, can you call me? Yeah. He called me, he goes, yeah, sure. Um, we'll have to move out of the apartment because I don't think there's enough room for all your shit. And I was like, okay. He goes, so can you put that together? And I was like, I get, I guess. And that was how I ended up with this motherfucker. Yeah. But was yours a little bit more romantic? Cause mine was pretty I mean, much like, no. I was unsure the entire time. Like, are you on board? I mean, I would tell you this, like let him tell you, he been like, it was definitely an ultimatum. And I told him, I was like, cause my lease was getting ready to get up. And Ooh, so- That's even more pressure. Oh, well you want to talk about pressure? <laughs> so I was in this three bedroom apartment in New York at the tip of, um, Central Park, like my view was Central Park. Oh. Like, and I lived on the 29th floor. I could see it was beautiful. Okay. And ex- expensive for then a corner of this studio, a corner, and I was spending 3500 Oh my God. For two, then. For one, uh, yeah. And they kept increasing the rent. So I was like, this is like my perfect time to get out. And so I was like, okay. Chris, marry me quick. <laughs> so I told him, I said, well, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put uh, my room on all the apartment listing apps. In New York, apartments go like that, mm-hmm. especially rooms, because people are coming and going. 
So I took the best pictures, did it all on my phone, visco, because I, I brightened the room, got the best views, and I even included my bed, my dresser, everything. I said, everything has to go. It will come, even it my- It comes fully furnished. Look at my 90 degree angle. Yes, it's like <laughs> even my AC unit that I spent $400 on to get installed and like, because we didn't have central air, you had to have like your, your own unit. So depressing. It's fucking depressing, but I was so happy in my like two by four like room, you know? Um, and so New York. So New York, but I had the best yeah, view. It's I had the best time. There was no obstruction, there was no building in front of it, so it was nothing but natural light. Like it was, was it. And a candle when and you know, a the sun went candle down. and a TV that didn't even work. I left my life. <laughs> like I was like in my room smoking weed, like just being like, what the fuck? Like, you know, I'm trying to find the next move. I'm like, all right, I gotta get out of my room. Like, hey, what y'all be just doing? Okay, I'm sorry, I gotta like dial it back a little bit. We were um, here. <laughs> but I'm like, that was like my life. So I told him, I was like, okay. Literally. So I changed my flight. It's coming down to the left. I'm having showings immediately. So people are coming in. I'm telling them this is like the rent. Wait, why is it your responsibility to sell your apartment when you don't own the building? Well, because like, it wasn't like all of us were leaving. So it was grandfathered in. So basically we just rented through her because she owned the apartment. It It was given to her from a relative and so it's grandfathered so she controls the rent and how much it is okay um you gotta live with that motherfucker no 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 she, okay. she never saw her like okay. ever so if we had car? issues we would just call her and she get a handyman up there um that was like the best thing but other than that so i was finally getting someone so i had this chick and so she was like i love it oh my god i said you could take it as is i'm like take the bed i will strip the bed I will even give you money to get new sheets. I was like, I gotta go. Like my shit is packed up. My boyfriend's brother and dad already came, got my stuff. My house, all my shit is in the Bronx, like at his house because I was adamant on going down to Charlotte. So I'm like, all right, like it has to go. Last minute, she's like, I need to think about it. You know, this is like a big thing for me. This is my first apartment. Can I meet your roommates? I rallied them motherfuckers up. I said, be here at noon. You're going to interview her. She's coming in here and she's going to like it. Dress up. Look presentable. You know, we had I had fucking Fabio in here. He used to walk around like such an asshole. He was Greek. He was very easy on my eyes. But he like always walked around with like his shirt off and a fucking towel and like like hair. His crawfish penis sticking out halfway. <laughs> I, it was very weird. I used to it's tell Chris great. all the time. I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, and then he would have crazy sex all the time. And like, it's paper thin, so I would always hear it. So I would like sleep with my noise canceling headphones. Oh my God. It was just so bad. And then the other girl, she was a um, professional nanny. So she was never there. That's nice. Yeah, she used to nanny for the CEO. Oh. And give all what? the tea. I bet. Can we edit that part out? Maybe, Weston? Okay, because yeah. I don't know if he's still the CEO. <laughs> so, I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, wait. Um, That'd be a really long, ten- long tenure, but. Um, but uh, yeah, and so boom. The next day she came in, she was like, I'll take it. Signed the lease, I got on my one-way ticket, we made it to Charlotte and I never looked back. Got the Charlotte. But what did he say? Like, what did you text him? 
oh, it's kind of like an ultimatum. I was like, I'm moving down here. Like, that's what I'm doing. Like, to live with you, you. and start life. And he was like, okay. I think he was very unsure. And then once we got in there, it was like very weird. And then I was like, well, we need to move out of this apartment and we need to get into a new space because like, this is your territory, right? Like, it's not an even playing field. I mean, you're, that didn't happen. And um, then we were going through like the whole engagement thing. And then he, then my dad, dad sent me an email. Oh my gosh, you told me this. It was like, well. Funniest thing ever. Good evening, Gabby. <laughs> I'm like so corporate. He that's his thing. My dad sends emails. He doesn't like texting. He'll call, but sometimes I don't want to. Even though an email is a text, really. Exactly. It's like a long form text. And so he's like, Good evening, Gabby. I hope you're enjoying your Valentine's Day. Well, it's been two years now, and I hope Chris isn't playing you because he hasn't proposed to you, so he's probably playing you. I'm like, what the fuck? And I see that and I just close the email. Did and you I CC Chris or something? Yes. CC'd her fia- not her boyfriend. Like, who does that? Like, my father. Someone who's trying to speed up the process. Yes, and he even told me, he said, I'll get my um, I'll get my uh, realtor down there and we'll find you a condo. I don't believe in you shacking up. This, that. Like, I mean, he was adamant on like, he's like, you need to have something that has equity. So like, if things don't work out, you can sell it and you walk away with something. Like, he like- Yeah, he's looking out for you. You know, like, and that's why I love my dad so much because he was the person adding perspective. And then my mom also was just kind of like, playhouse if you want to. Like, why get the cow when you have the milk? No, I, I agree. My biggest fear was being a single mom. Mm. That was my biggest fear. So like it did, that's what made it so scary, right? Moving down there without a rain because it, I don't care if you believe in marriage or not, because yeah. I have a lot, my best friend is not, like Megan is not one of the ones that believes. But marriage, no matter whether it was 500 years ago or it was yesterday, is fucking security. If you're married and that motherfucker cheats on you or treats you wrong or st lies, whatever, does anything, that, that ring is- Morgan, 2019, Chardonnay. Lucia doing the job for the last 45 minutes but um that marriage is security marriage is what's gonna save your ass like sorry guys i mean if if it's you're just shacking up yeah yeah but like no one wants to have that by yourself. conversation though like you know what i mean like i know i just i hate when i hear people say well marriage isn't the same today. it's it's by law the same, same. it is but like Again, I mean, it worked out, right? Yeah, it, uh, it definitely worked out, you know, but that was, that was like another thing. So then I leave my dream job, I have to find a new job, then settled into a job, thankfully, that was again, still in sports and entertainment. And I worked on some of the biggest and best campaigns that I can even, that I, that were award-winning, that I, hold near and dear to my heart. And that's when I had my first black uh, manager at that oh. job. So that was like really dope. It was dope. that late in the game. Yeah, yeah. And she was so dope. And she was so like, she challenged me to show up authentically as myself. And we worked on the same team. We worked on all the accounts I worked on. She was my, my um, I reported to her. 
and seeing that that helped me be able to redefine what success looks like. That's awesome. And it showed me that everything in life, life will always work out. I know that sounds very cliche. No, it's not. I, I genuinely, any situation you're dealing with, time, I mean, you're right. It's like the most you saying, you but know? time really solves every issue I've ever had. Give it a year, give it two years. It gets easier yeah. and easier to cope with, to think about, to, to go back and hash it out. What advice, because going back to the failure of, you know, leaving the career that you're on track to achieve mm -hmm. for a man goes against everything our millennial mm -hmm. culture teaches us to do. Yeah. And that, that's sad because I don't think there's something that's so evil about this marriage narrative, build a family, be, fill the traditional womanly role. I don't think that's as evil as what it's painted out to be. And I, social media, the media wants you to think that, you know, you can't be an independent woman and have babies and have a husband and have a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give for the young budding woman who's struggling with that, who does feel like her eggs are rotting and wants to have kids, but also wants to have a career? Give yourself grace. Write down a short list of things that you want. Manifest it do the work and the order of those things may change mm -hmm. but give yourself grace and understand that life will work itself out and you will always be where you need to be at the time that you arrive don't compare I know it's hard so hard but like like lock in because I locked in and I said by 30 I wanted to do 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 and I did do 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 and it wasn't always pretty. We skipped over some like very mm -hmm. ugly parts of it. But I can sit here and say that everything that I wanted to do, I did do. And if I ever have a daughter, obviously I would tell her don't do the shit that I did, <laughs> but take risks and bet on yourself. Yes, I believe in that. I will give my daughter probably a lot more room to fuck up that my husband's comfortable with because yeah. my parents were very strict with me and it made me rebel. Mm -hmm. So I fell on my face a lot. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I wouldn't have fallen on my face if they didn't make it seem so awesome. To tr like, why are you telling me, why are you so hell bent on not letting me do it? It must be awesome. Yeah. So I, I really think that that taking risk and letting your child take calculated risks that you can observe yeah. is so important. So, so, so they're important. not trying to take those risks when you can't observe them. And I also want to say that I said, if I have a daughter, I have a son now, but I think it's a little bit different with boys than girls. Fair. So that's why I want to preface that because I do have a son now. And I would also hope and I know that he would take those risks, but really if I ever have a daughter, I would really, tell her that and like you said give her more room to make those calculated risks and fall on her face but like not let let her know that like mom and dad are always here for you but like sometimes you do got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and kind of figure shit out right on your own yeah because that's what my parents did and also sometimes I was so embarrassed of the fuck-ups that I did one quick story 
which brought us here is so when I was in New York, I was in debt. <laughs> I was in debt. And Chris told me to, oh shit, yeah, I can say names, whatever. I mean, he's my husband, whatever. We've said Chris several times. Okay. So, um, so he told me he's very big on financial literacy and, you know, planning. And he told me, he was like, you need to attack your debt. And I think this for him, it was part of him getting me in a place so that by the time That's that awesome. we did get married and get engaged, the financial piece, I didn't have any student loans. My struggle was that I blew a bag after college and racked up some <laughs> crazy ass debt going on to Miami and like buying fucking tables like, Living your best life. Living my best life. And I like racked up a bill and um, I had to like attack the debt. I mean, the shit went in collections, like it was bad. And I was just trying to just like, oh my God, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to, I, I don't want to deal with this. Like, you know, and he told me, he was like, you need to listen to Dave Ramsey and follow the 10 steps, which also brought me and Kendall together because like, I didn't even know that she had the connection with that and I was telling her I was like that's what made me financially fit and it made me lock in and be more responsible and take a control and accountability of my financial fitness and being able to stack up my first 10k and once I was able to do that then getting a car and being able to navigate all these real life adult situations. And I didn't realize when I was going through that, I felt so small, but because my husband is also younger than me. So a lot of people don't know that. Like, he's not that much younger than me. He's not that much younger than me, but he's younger than me and having this young boy, well, he's a young man, young man coaching me, but really he was helping me and I was ashamed. Every time we talked about money, I was just, I would shrivel up. I'm like, I don't wanna talk about it. And then, the reality hit when I tried to get my first car. You know what <laughs> my fucking APR rate was? What? Fucking like 22%. On your car? Yes. Jesus. What like, was your credit score? Oh my gosh. What's like the lowest? Like 400 something? Like 400. AJ's was 420 when we got married. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, it was so bad. But like finding the right partner will really help you. And I again, my steps were ordered and this man really helped me be able to take accountability and take control of my finances. And so again, like I went through all of these things and it's led me here. Selfishly, Chris also was like, I'm gonna marry this bitch. Yes. And I got a 750. <laughs> yes. And her 400 is gonna bring me down yes. to a 617, which yes. is just outside of the excellent credit zone. And I'm fucked because of this bitch. Yes. So he was like, yes. you're gonna you're gonna do some Dave Ramsey before I give you a ring. Yes. And he and, and that's how it worked out. No, seriously. And he told me, he was like, as soon as you hit your your 10K, he was like, I'll match it. That's so sweet. And a bitch was saving. I was like, like fuck okay. the Louis, fuck the no. Gucci. That's I'm all you had to say, Chris. I'm, I'm not going to get drinks with you, bitches. Like, I'm saving my money so I can get matched. 401k it. who? Okay. I mean, we're maxing out our IRAs. Like, we, we, we're, we are funding everything completely. And But it's it took... You got a dollar for dollar match. You know, like, it, it, was, it took that discipline and it took me being just like focused and giving myself grace and being like vulnerable 
So, you know, like that's it was, awesome. It was rough, but like I'm here. I'm here to tell you the story and not be ashamed of it. Like ashamed of my failures that I've had. No, I think that's that's a beautiful full circle story. So to recap, what advice you would give to a woman going through that difficult mid to late 20s, very natural yeah. thought process of I'm rotting inside. Mm-hmm. Instagram's telling me to go on a cruise, but my body's telling me to make babies. There is no shame in building that narrative. Yes. It, there is a reason it has lasted for years and years and years and it is because it is beautiful yeah with the right person yeah don't force it yeah. um and do what your heart tells you you can have it all it just yes. might not happen all before you're 30. yes and that's okay i yes. don't know when 30 became the magic number and when you had to accomplish everything in your life ever and it's and it's not it's 30 not. is not that it's so annoying when i i'll have like people who are just going through the Dave Ramsey process and they'll we'll be on the intro call and they'll be like, well, I want to have all of my debt paid off and my house and 20K saved by the time I'm 30. I'm like, oh, all right, um, you're going to be eating beans right. out of a can. <laughs> you're going to be on my New York diet as eating as, granola. As long as that's <laughs> what dinner. you want to do. It's you don't have, there's don't put an age on your yeah. goals, put a milestone. So yes. that's number one. And also the failure, what advice, we skipped this one, what advice would you give the senior who is now they're a senior in high school mm-hmm. and they've realized that, okay, sports isn't gonna work out mm-hmm. or academics, I didn't pull it together in time. Mm-hmm. What do you tell that, that kid? I would tell them, you know, like... Specifically that black kid. Well, today's, you don't really need a degree. You need experience and you need to find a skill and hone in on that skill. Unless if it's something that you want to do where you are having, like you, it's a liability, like you're managing people's money or you're taking, like their health is in your hands. Obviously you need to go to college, right? And you mm-hmm. got to figure out what that looks like. If that's going to junior college or community college and getting your GPA up, taking prerequisites and then going into school and knowing that your timeline's going to look a little bit different. Um, that doesn't matter. Right. But if it's not, find something you're good at. Like the internet is so big. And I think that's the beauty of social media now is like you find something that you're good at and dope and you got your own lane, market that shit. That and don't be afraid. There's so many, and I get it's because like you're too cool to ask for help, bro. Yeah. But look and ask your mom, ask your dad, ask your uncle, hey, I'm good at drawing. Do you know anyone that works at a tattoo shop? Yes. Do you know anyone that works for a newspaper? Ask, start within your network. Yes. And on that note of networking, network lateral, not vertical always. What does that mean? So when you're networking lateral is that you are asking people that like, that are like your friend, someone that you went to college, to high school with that may be at Penn State. Like those are, those are your peers. Mm-hmm. Those people know different people because they're in different areas. They're in, you know, but like 
those people also have connections too that can also lead to something greater. You don't always have to go in on LinkedIn and find the managing director or something like that. Mm -hmm. Start with your friend, build with your friend. Don't be afraid. I know everyone's like, you don't want to do business with your friend. Yeah, like also you have to think about that too, like associate, like weigh out the, the risk, right? There's always right. a risk. But when you build with like-minded people, one, like I will say this, some of the most successful people bring along some of their, their, their friends. And, oh. and, and, and they may eventually go off and do I their own am, things. I believe yes. in that. And not even just friends. If you find someone, like our nanny, for example. I oh, she's the best. love our nanny. Like she could, even when she fucks up, the way she <laughs> handles her fucks up, her fuck ups, make me love her more. Yeah. Like I will literally try to employ her the rest of my life. Like we're, I'm starting Unless a new if office. I steal her for you. No, she said that we're her <laughs> unicorn family, and she's done nannying with us. So then I, I literally was like, okay, well, I'm opening a new office, uh, when our new house closer to our new house that we're building. Yes. When when AJ retires, we're not gonna need you anymore. But I need an office manager. So, Ooh. like, I will if yeah. you treat me right and I trust you, I will bring you along the entire any way I can help. And I, that is the key to building a successful team. Yes. Is finding people that you can trust, that demonstrate that they are trustworthy, bring them along. Yes. And they'll bring you along. Yes. So one of you is gonna hit the lotto eventually. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's huge. Build your network, build your team, ask your network. And you, and you can't go wrong, start young. Like yeah. I think that's, I, we're at the intern season right now and I'm getting all these emails of, hey, do you know someone that needs an intern? I have like yeah. six people and that's beautiful. And I've sent out their contact information to about 30 different people every single day. That is what you need to be doing. So I think that your story is one that so many kids, so many kids experience because they get to that stage where shit, I'm a senior. I fucked around. I, I thought football was going to be the answer. I thought softball was going to be the answer. I thought basketball was going to be a, the answer. Turns out I don't want to play for a D3 school if I can't play for a D1 school. So now what? Okay, then you turn to rapping. I'm just kidding. Well, but she's not. <laughs> and it might work, or but it hot. might not. Shit, you never know. Reality TV is the new wave. It's um, the old wave. Like, what? I know. I know. Something. Now it's like tick, TikTok, TikTok. I mean, you know, I honestly, like, I would say off the record, but like this is obviously on the record. Everything's on the record. I mean, damn, I missed the wave of TikTok. I could have definitely been a... It was um, Vine. Like, Vine was the the talk tick. Like, the talk tick. Yes. AJ, I, my husband was Vine famous, let him tell you. Wait. Yeah, that was, yeah, he was Vine. He had like thousands and thousands. He like had a personality back then or something. Yeah. But Vine, if you remember Vine... That shit was lit. Yeah, Vine was definitely. There's so many famous people now from Vine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, they are. But yeah, I, I think that's beautiful. Um, describe your authentic self in three words. Well, you use one. That was authentic. Um, okay, well now you gotta find another one. Um, transparent. Well, that's like a synonym, so that doesn't really count. Um, hmm. It's like all these adjectives are like, 
coming in. Um, realistic. I like that. Um, accountable. And last one it shouldn't be this hard um it is because it wasn't on the list of questions i gave you uh, it kind of always throws people off um because you don't want to sound like too confident well like i would say like that is like i would definitely describe you as confident yeah but even in your worst moments yeah. i still find you to be very confident and, I, and I've learned to stand confidently in my fuck-ups and in my ugliness and in my greatness. You know, like that's the only way I'm going to grow and be stretched. I think accountable is the most rare. It's really hard to find people that own, yeah, I could have handled that differently. I think that's the one that I would be most proud of. I, I'm, very, I'm very proud of that one because I wasn't always this way. You know, like I used to deflect a lot and not face some of my ugliness and my character flaws. And when someone told me that I had a character flaw, like that shit stung. And I pride myself on being like, I'm not gonna, I will never have someone else tell me ever in my life, you have a character flaw because that shit is deep. Like I- What was your character flaw out of curiosity? I was flighty. Okay. And flighty in a lot of in, in a lot of ways. I was unreliable. Ooh, that's the worst. Yeah. Like, and and, and I had no I showed no remorse. I didn't care. I was sociopath. Yeah, I, I didn't care. I operated in it on my own time. And yeah, you do, but like you you respect people. And I didn't have respect for people. I, I operated in a very way of being like you're not on my way, like, sorry. Like, and I was very dismissive. And when that individual who's no longer my friend and was a very good friend to me told me that and we had an honest conversation, I told myself I'd never be that. And like, that stuck with me. And she had my back through some ugly moments when like girls were trying to jump me. And when she told me that, I got my shit together. I love that. I love that that was a wake up call for you. I like to think if someone had an honest conversation with me about that, I would, it would be, I would have the same reaction. So I think that's where the best growth comes from, right? Because we, we, it's impossible for us to fully see how other people see us. It's just it's not, human, it's not your human nature. So to have someone real enough to be like, this, this is what I don't like about you and then for you to change it, like that's, I mean, when someone tells you have a character flaw. I mean, I feel like like that you're always gonna have some level of character flaw. The difference is, are you aware of it? And I wasn't, because I was operating right in losing friends and not really wondering like why. Looking around, being like, damn, it's a little cold. Like I ain't got nobody <laughs> up here. Like you know, like who could I call? And I don't have tons and tons of friends. I feel I have, like you do though. I don't. I have a solid, like a solid circle and I celebrate my friends and I'm big on that. Like, I love that. Like I, 
you don't need a lot of friends in this life. You need reliable people that celebrate you and love you and will hold you accountable and let you call you out on your bull. And that's what I want for myself. And I hope that I attract those people in my life because I don't want to be that old Gabby. I don't want to go back to that. Like I'm, 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 I'm in a good place right now. I'm, I'm the vibrations are. are good. They are. I feel them. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. How can people reach out to you the best way? Um, Instagram. Not texting because your notifications are always off. Always off. Always on D&D. Um, Instagram. Um, Gabrielle, G-A-B-R-I-E. Two L's and an E. Not Gabe. Not Gabe. Dot Manhurts. M-A-N-H-E-R-T-Z. Very simple. And my uh, DMs are open for quality conversations and follow-up questions from this. Not weirdos. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you so much for having me. I love you too. The love runs deep, Kendall. Deep. Deep. You my girl. Thank you. And this is another episode of Failure Friday. We will make sure to tag Gabby. I would like to also tag this wine because it is amazing. This wine is like, really I've great. never refilled my cup during a show and I think I did it at least twice. Yeah. Um, can't do that movement. Um, <laughs> but tune in. We will be posting clips Thursday and Friday. And then, of course, we'll be posted on all the major platforms. Have a good night. Bye.